Lord, we thank you for this morning. We ask that you uh, open your word to us. We thank you for the gift that is your word. Help it uh, pierce our hearts and draw us ever closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Morning. Not the face you normally see up here. Um, I'm filling in for Scott today, and got to be thankful that he does this every week. Because I sure couldn't. Uh, <laughs> I always get nervous on preaching Sundays, so bear with me. But today we're going to be taking a look in Matthew 21, where Jesus uh, is going to cleanse the temple um, and uh, curse a fig tree. But I want to start with a question. Why are we here? Right? What is the meaning of life? Why did God create us? Right? Scott said last week, if you ask 10 people for the meaning of life, you get 10 completely different answers. And sure enough, if you Google that, you'll definitely get a whole wide range of answers on the meaning of life. Um, one of the first answers was from psychology today. And uh, claiming that there is no one answer to the purpose of life. But uh, they boil it down to, because we all evolved, then you should evolve, adapt, and grow. Which may on the surface sound nice, but the more you dig into that, it's vanity. It might sound sophisticated on the front, but essentially it's circular. The meaning of life is to live. That's pretty hollow in my opinion. Um, uh, right? If you look at the words that they chose there, the, the first one, evolve, they're specifically trying to get you to change into that atheistic worldview that we all came from nothing, and so we can't really expect to be held accountable for anything. Right? And it's just a, a substitute for their later word, grow. Right? It's a synonym, the way they're using it. Um, but they're trying to get you to think, right, change that perspective. Adapt, which is essentially just survive, right? and then grow, but into what and why? For what purpose? All right, you can find meaning in lots of things, but purpose is going to require the intent of the one who made it, right? The intent of a creator. Without that, all is vanity. Right? Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So what does our creator, the one who gave us purpose, have to say about this? Right? We read in Colossians, all things were created through him, through Jesus, and for him. Right? We were made for God, by God. Revelation, we see God is worthy of glory for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Right? We are created by the will of God, and we are here to serve him. In Philippians, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Right? He's going to mold us more so that our will reflects his own, that he gives us the strength to work in our lives, that we may please our creator. We see here, right, that uh, our lives are going to, to bring God glory, and uh, we are to please him. We go to Romans 9 to start with. We see 
the Creator making some vessels here. In verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? But what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? All are going to be used to glorify God, whether they want to or not. Our vessels for destruction versus vessels of mercy. When we see what happens to those vessels of destruction, we glorify God all the more for the riches of his mercy that he pours out on us. So, then, what about that second part, to please him? In 2 Timothy, we read some more creation of some vessels here. Chapter 2, verse 20. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. We are born into sin and start as vessels of dishonorable use, but our creator can cleanse us, right? not that any pot can cleanse itself, but he can cleanse us to make us a vessel for honorable use, to be set apart as holy and useful to the master of the house. So why do I start with this, right? Well, what was the purpose of the temple, right? Why was it there? It was a place where all could come and worship and glorify God. And what about Israel's purpose, those overseeing the temple? Their purpose was to point the world to God. Right? To, they could please him by obeying his commandments, and both were failing to meet their purpose. Jesus is about to correct this. So, we read then in Matthew. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. First off, Jesus has the authority to declare what the purpose of the temple was, right? We saw last week that he came riding in on a colt, prophesied in Zechariah, your king is coming to you. He is the king of Israel. He is the rightful ruler of those over Israel. He comes to healing, and we read in chapter 9 of Matthew, right, when he says to the paralytic, which is easier to say, right, that your sins are forgiven, or rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He turns to the paralytic. 
rise, get up, take your bed, and go home. So he comes not just straight saying that he has this authority, but he shows that right through signs of his power. And then two, we read right in verse 16, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, have you have prepared praise. This is, comes from Psalm 8. It is God who secures from the mouths of infants and nursing babies praise for himself. And by applying this verse to himself, he is once again declaring that he is the son of God. He is the Messiah, the priest and king in the order of Melchizedek, right? The man in the Old Testament whom Abraham paid homage to. Right? He was a king and priest, not something that anyone in Israel could do, right? You were either a priest or a king, and the two did not mix until they were found unity in Christ. So, he has this authority, and what does he do with this authority? First thing he does, remove the barriers to those coming to worship at his temple, right? Set up in the Gentile court is this marketplace, right? You have uh, all sorts of sacrificial animals there, which this all started out as a good thing, right? People coming uh, from all around to come and worship the Lord. Um, uh, you don't really want to try and bring your sacrifice on that long journey. It needs to be perfect, spotless, Right? To sacrifice to God and taking it on a long journey is not very conducive to that. Um, and so they set up this service right, to help those coming in from a long way to exchange money and get it in the, the currency of the area and to, to buy their sacrifices for the temple. Except, right, in doing so, they are right, hindering the very reason right, why those people are coming. They're coming to praise and worship God. And we see him declaring, right, my house shall be called a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. Right? Not only are they now using this service um, in a place where they shouldn't be, but also they're using it to, to make a quick buck as well, extorting the people as they do so. So by removing right, this from the temple courts, he is giving that space back right, to the foreigners, to the Gentiles, to come and worship God in the area that was set apart for them. Additionally, we see, right, the blind and the lame are coming to him. They're not going to be allowed into the inner court because of their maladies, but once they have been cured, they are now clean and can go on and enter into the inner court as well, right, if they are of Jewish descent. And so, right, again, he is removing those barriers for them as well, that they too may come and worship and glorify God. Unfortunately, those in charge of the temple did not quite see eye to eye with him. All right, we read, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Right? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Kind of their job to have read. Right? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. 
we want to contrast here, right? The, the children have recognized who he is. They are praising him as they rightfully should. Hosanna, save us, son of David. Right? And priests rejecting him. Interesting tidbit. If we go to Psalm 118, where they are quoting this, right? Hosanna, save us, we pray, O Lord. In verse 25. If you go just three verses earlier, we read, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So in that same psalm that they are quoting to praise him as the coming Messiah, we also read that those in charge are going to reject that Messiah. And what do we see happening? They hear those words, and rather than think back to this psalm and realize, oh, maybe we should be a little careful, nope, they go right on and continue to reject their Messiah. So many indictments against the priests. Uh, anyways, <laughs> right? That, what they should have been doing, right, is recognizing, oh, this is the cornerstone who has come. And yet, completely missed the point. So, leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Then, in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found... Nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. In Matthew and Mark, we get this connection between the cleansing of the temple and this curse of the fig tree. Um, in Mark, even, right, you have uh, the story of the fig tree sandwiching the cleansing of the temple, right? As he's coming into the temple, he pronounces the curse on the fig tree, and then after cleansing the temple the next day, they see it withered, right, and call it out. And both, right, we're drawing this connection between what Christ is doing, cleansing the temple, with this object lesson that he's given the disciples with the fig tree. What is that lesson? Right. Comes up to it, expecting to see some fruit, though Mark says it's not the season for fruit, but has this appearance right from afar that it should have some fruit on it and finds none. This picture of right, what he finds when he comes to Israel, right? the ones that should be tending the garden, the ones that should be right, producing the fruit for the Lord, right, have no fruit. They are fruitless. And uh, he here is declaring judgment on this fruitless fig tree that you shall never bear fruit again. We see this really clearly in his initial um, uh, statement when cleansing the temple. Is it, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. He's connecting two uh, passages in the Old Testament, Isaiah 56, when he says, this shall be called a house of prayer, and Jeremiah 7, you make it a den of robbers. And we're going to go to both of those and see what exactly is Christ declaring here um, about Israel. In Isaiah 56, we read, 
Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him, besides those already gathered. So in this context here, right, Isaiah is declaring this salvation for the foreigners and the eunuchs who are coming to the Lord, right? The Gentiles that Jesus has just made a way for to come into the temple. And again, healing those blind and lame that they can come into the temple as well. And yet, in the same breath we have, starting in verse 9, all you beasts of the field come to devour. All you beasts in the forest, his watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let us get wine, let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. So this same passage, again, that points to, right, this salvation for all the Gentiles is again condemning the leaders, right, as blind watchmen, greedy dogs, selfish shepherds. And yet, he goes on to write, say, you've made this a den of robbers. So, in Jeremiah chapter 7, we see the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I give uh, that I gave of old to your fathers forever. So we read here too, God is saying, I'm going to let you stay if you amend your ways. Right? So, what then 
are we to do? This continues, right, with a scathing rebuke, then, of those same leaders. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Now go to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called to you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name, and in which you trust, and to the place which that I gave to you and to your fathers, as I did to Shiloh, and I will cast you out of my sight, I, as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. This warning again is made to, right, this was originally given, right, and it fulfilled in the first destruction of the temple. They've since rebuilt it, and now they have continued to sin against their God, to set up their own idolatry within it, but much more subtly, right? They've set up their own traditions, making null the void, null and void the word of God, right? And they continue to exalt themselves, right? And we see that as they, they pray openly and call attention to themselves, right? And when confronted with their Messiah, instead of accepting this rebuke and instead of turning and uh, right, finding correction, they instead dig their heels all the more and seek to kill him. And we have this warning, right? This warning of the fig tree that has withered, right? As he does to this fig tree that is failing to bear fruit, so am I gonna do to you. And only 40 years later, we see that same temple destroyed, never to be raised again. So, what are we going to do with that, right? The fig tree is a warning for them. And he continues on from there, right? Too far in pages. <clears throat> when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So just as this fig tree, right, was a warning and uh, uh, its destruction removed then the, the hypocrites, those that looked good on the outside but were dead on the inside, removed them from uh, before the Lord, right? We have this call too, right? If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even to this mountain, 
be cast into the sea, this impossible task. What are we to do with that? Right? Well, we too can seek out and uh, eradicate hypocrisy where we find it. Right? We can uh, remove it through the power of prayer, right? through the work of God, um, even though it may seem impossible. How then are we to do that? How do we identify what's gone wrong and needs to be removed? Well, we look to the purpose that God established for it. Right? If we look to the church, we are to right, be a place where we orderly come together and worship our God. It's a place of praise, a place of prayer, a place where we preach the word, where we partake of the Lord's Supper. Because I'm not a preacher, I'm not going to stick with peas. But we also come and fellowship with one another. Right? And things that hinder that purpose right, um, it can be evaluated under that, that lens. And how then can we change this so that we may glorify God in all that we do here? Right, we can look at right, what should the family look like at home? We know we have this picture from God, right? Husbands, you are to be the spiritual leaders of your family, right? Um, uh, you are to love your family as Christ loved the church and sacrifice himself for the church. If there's any sacrificing to be done by default, it should be us husbands, right? We are the ones to, to bear the majority of that load when there is a load to bear. We come right alongside our wives, and uh, Kendra's birthday today, so say hi to her. Sorry. <laughs> but together, right, we raise our children to, to love the Lord, um, and we keep that as our focus, right? What is right, our purpose here as parents as we are raising our children, um, and keep that as our central focus. When it comes to right, uh, our work life, right? if you're an employee, you serve as unto the Lord. You're not doing it necessarily to please your boss, right? your earthly boss, but to please your heavenly boss. You're there to please the Lord and be an example to all around you um, to shine that light of Christ in your workplace. Right? You do so joyfully as unto the Lord. And if you're the employer, remembering right, that these employees too, how you treat them, you'll right, give an account one day for your leadership right, in that role. What about in ourselves? Right? What is our purpose? Well, as we said at the beginning, our purpose is to glorify God and to please Him. And how are we to please Him? None will please him without faith. We must have faith. What is the work of God? To believe in the one in whom he has sent. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What commandments has he given us? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So we are to, to love God 
and to love others. And in all things, we do so with love, right? We need to speak the truth and hold true to that, but do so in love, in gentleness, right? Forgiving as God has forgiven us. And we think about that too, right? How much has God forgiven us? It's a mountain. It seems insurmountable, right? But even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. That's what God did for us. He took the mountain of our sin and cast it far from us, right? Forgave us all of our sins. So, throughout this passage, right, we see Christ showing his authority. He has uh, come to set things right. And in this house, this house of prayer, we can um, praise God and glorify him. Let us all do that right, each day. So as we close today, let us uh, keep that as the forefront of our thoughts. Right? How then can we praise God and worship him in all things, bring him glory in all that we do? Right? And as uh, we say here at Church Next Door, live a full life in Jesus and bring others along for the ride. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you come to, to clean us, to make us vessels of honorable use, um, that we can serve and glorify you in all that we do. We ask that you use us each day um, and keep our focus on the main thing. And as we go out from here, help us to shine your light to this dark and broken world. As we take our offering, let it be with joyful hearts um, that we do so uh, not under compulsion, um, but we do so gladly. If we can't do so gladly, then we don't do that at all. Let us continually serve you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.